All right, everybody, this is the Bridge Bible Church podcast. I think this is episode five, uh, correct? This is uh, April 29th. Um, I've got with me Pastor Dave Dixon, um, and as always, my name's Kevin Schubert and Brian Rambler, and we are going to be discussing a pretty interesting article today. So, Pastor Dave, if you want to kick it off. Yeah, I had asked these guys to read an article by Colton Quarter. He's a writer for NineMarks.org. Uh, if you know anything about the Nine Marks ministry, uh, it's headed up by Mark Dever, uh, really great ministry. They've got Baptist uh, kind of roots, and uh, they write a lot of healthy church um, literature, ways you can measure your church. Now, the particular article um, we're talking about, Colton decided to survey 20 hours of sermons uh, from the largest churches in America. I guess he had some downtown because of the coronavirus. So yeah. It's a lot of sermons, 20 hours. Don't know where I'd find that much time. I have to it's cut quite into an my, attention span too. I have to cut into my YouTube time. I don't think I could do that. Nah. So um, what I don't want to do is um, I don't want to read the critiques specific to the churches that he critiqued because I don't want this to turn into a church bashing, bashing session. But he did make some points that I think we should kind of stop and um, we should consider first personally because I think our responsibility is to preach the gospel uh, to people that are far from God as much as, as much as, uh, as we can. But also too, I think it's a good time for us to kind of maybe evaluate what we say individually um, to others. And also um, kind of look at some of the bullet points from his article and uh, maybe ask some questions to what leads churches into some of those pitfalls that they fell in. Yeah. Can I, um, and you kind of, you kind of are hinting at it, but before we jump into the points, I just kind of want to ask an overall kind of broader question to understand why we do this. Um, what do you think the benefit is of as, as a church, you know, there's a balance between keeping to ourselves, focusing on what we do and also looking at what other churches are doing. So what's the good and bad of, of that potentially like looking at what other churches are doing versus not paying too much attention. Well, I think you can learn from everyone, but the problem is you, you can run into that, that moment we talked about the end of the gospel of John where Peter's like, what about him? And Jesus like, mind your own business. That was great. So that's, I think that's uh you know, going back to the gospel of John series, that's an important lesson to learn. And so that's why we're not really going to talk about, his critiques that were levied against specific churches. If you're curious about that kind of thing and you've got time, ninemarks.org is the website. They've got lots of great articles and this is just one of them. But here's why I want to talk about this article. And um, I, I, I want to give you an analogy uh, that ties back to coffee. And so over the years, um, I, I got into coffee first by getting hot chocolate, by going to Starbucks with my youth pastor. And then you graduate from hot chocolate to mocha. Yep. And then you move into like the ice mochas, the ice coffees, and then something happens. You you, you want to lose weight like I did in 2016, and you start drinking coffee black. And you start recognizing there's really, really good coffee out there. And what Starbucks has done is they realize most people really don't like coffee. They like coffee drinks with flavored milk or creamer and sugar and yeah and lots and lots of sugar so they created a bunch of drinks and they sell coffee to people who really don't like coffee that's true now america has done that with christianity they have taken christianity and they've added stuff to it and and i think that the the challenge that we have is we are living in the american culture 
we all have come you you've come from a place in uh, Pennsylvania, Scranton. Yep. Those of you who love the office. Yep. I was, you know, north of st- that wonderful steel town with all the sports teams that win. And Brian, <laughs> you're from you're from here in Ohio. South of that sports team, or okay. that city with the. Then why they don't why win. are you a Cleveland fan? I don't get it. I don't know. I've been trying <laughs> to shake it for a while, but there's there's Dude. something that I don't understand start, about. Start with the Penguins. That's how I get it. Is start with the Penguins. I just I don't know. And I we we've had this conversation a lot. I have family from Pittsburgh. My every, you know my dad's from Pittsburgh. My cousins are from Pittsburgh. And but um, you had a bad experience from an older cousin in Pittsburgh or something, huh? No, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Actually, I feel like I had uh, I had a friend here because my dad got had uh, got a jersey, a Steelers jersey for me. And I wore it to school, and I got made fun of so much for wearing a Steelers jersey. Get emotionally scarred. And uh, okay, so and then I then I started liking the Browns when they were good before the fumble and before the drive, and so it hooked me. Hmm. Mm. So, anyways. Because we're all from this country, we have kind of grown up in that culture that's added things to Christianity or taken maybe some important things away. I like to call it Duncan Hines Christianity. Yeah, right. Or <laughs> add three eggs, yeah. add some, you know, and you're good. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, I want to deal with some of these points, like I said, not to criticize the church, but one, I think it's a great checkpoint. If you're at home listening to this and, uh, you know, for example, one of the points the author made was the gospel was oftentimes at best assumed or it was entirely absent. You may call yourself a Christian and you may not understand what the gospel is. Now, some some red flags that I hear as a former youth pastor is when you're dealing with church kids and they're like, we don't know what the Great Commission is. It's like, like ooh, that, that's kind of a big one. That's Jesus said, go do this. And it's universal. We don't get to like shove that off on someone else. So um, that's why I thought it was great for us to start with um, this article. So um, I feel like can I, real quick, I, just, I feel super blessed at times to come from the church background I did because I came from a church that it is a little more traditional and, and you know, it's very doctrine heavy and it's very structured in a lot of ways that I see churches that aren't, um, you know, it's, it's a Baptist church and, I needed that structure right. and that kind of led me into Bible college where, you know, I did, they were, they were very adamant at making sure I knew what the great commission was. I was discipled when I got saved. I was taken through all these basic things that Christians generally should know about the Bible. And I don't know how programmatically that's missing from a lot of churches. Now you said something really important and I, I don't want us to gla- glaze over this as a young guy recognizing your church was a little more conservative or traditional you didn't say oh because it's not modern it's a bad church at the time i might have been thinking that in the back of my head but looking back i see it to be fair the church i grew up in there were things i wish were different but i never said my church was a bad church right and i never thought that about that them either but it was just like oh well why are all these rules here this is like you know here's the trap we can fall into as christians as as consumers really we can look at a church and say well, if it's really, really big, it's a bad church. Or if it's really, really small, it's a bad church. Or if it's really, really modern, it's a, it's a bad church. Or if it's really, really traditional, it's a bad church. So it, I, I want to make sure that we're clear. We're not looking at a big church and saying what they're doing is bad. There's a lot of really healthy churches that got big doing very effective ministry. And, you know, as one of the leaders at Bridge, and I think the elders would agree with me, we want to grow 
because we did healthy ministry, right? Not because we had a gimmick or, um, you know, we're platforming a worship style or a personality. Uh, we're, we're not, we're not like that. We, we want to be healthy. Like some of the big healthy churches in our country are, uh, but also too, we don't want to stand back and go, Oh, well, just cause they're doing modern music or they're doing something that's a little bit outside the box. They're not, they're not a good, we, we want the content to determine whether or not a church is a good church. Do they get the gospel right? Is it, you know, is it there or is it assumed or, or, or in some cases absent? So I, I want to talk about these four points as maybe checkpoints for us to kind of look back at our own lives and say, okay, for example, uh, Brian, you and I've talked a lot about how you you're doing church with your whole family together every Sunday while we're on this break. Um, at some point, you know, you're, you're asking some really hard questions of your kids. You're, you're not taking it for granted or assuming they know what the gospel is. You're going back and you're kind of, you're kind of digging deep. I think all of us need to do that, you know, on our own. And, and, and if we're stuck and there's something we don't know or we understand, that's, that's where if you're listening and you're like, there's a lot, I don't know. Hey, listen, there's a young Christian who texts me every night at like 11 at night. He's like, I'm reading my Bible and I don't know what this means. We, we want you to do that. Now, someone might be an early riser. So, you know, make sure you're clear on, you know, whether or not you're waking them up. It's not happening in my right. home, but, uh, yeah, these, these are the kinds of the checkpoints we want to walk through, yeah. um, to kind of first help those individuals at home. And then secondly, maybe, maybe be some guideposts for us as we, as we dream about how God's going to use bridge in the future. Give any, yeah. yeah, I think that, uh, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of, uh, churchy type talk. There's a lot of things that can be mentioned without the essentials being concentrated on. And that's what, you know, that what I got out of this uh, article was basically that is mm -hmm. that, uh, without the essentials of the gospel being clear, it can just become very fuzzy and, and miss the boat, boat totally. Mm. Yeah. I guess like there's a, there's an, my, my, I always wonder like listening to sermons, is there are people who criticize any church who doesn't put the gospel in every sermon, you know, explicitly it needs to be in every sermon somewhere at the end there needs to be an altar call. But then there are some that don't ever put the gospel in. So it's like, where's that balance of like, okay, I know who's here. I know who's sitting in the, in the, in the rows. Like there are a couple unsaved people here. Maybe I should, you know, present the gospel or am I focused on something to build people who are already Christians and growing and, and feeding the flock? You okay. Know? So listen, there, there, there's no misunderstanding here. Like we, we recognize that most people that come to worship are Christians right. on Sunday. So that's the way. We ask the question musically and, and even sermon presentation. If people in Brimfield, Kent, Ravenna, Talmadge, Southfield, surrounding areas became followers of Christ, how would they worship? We don't go, how do we get unsaved people in? Because my understanding is most unsaved people aren't, they're not, uh, they're not coming to worship. Mm -hmm. So church is for Christians by and large. Because would you say that? Because unsaved people, I don't believe worship. And, right. and that's, that's what we do on Sunday morning. So the worship team does, um, if you've heard our awesome worship team, they're not trying to perform They're they're first and foremost worshiping. Uh, and you know, they practice so that they can play the music well and worship with excellence, but they're not playing to our people. They're yeah. worshiping, leading our people in worship. Yeah. And the same thing with the sermon, it's what do gospel people in Brimfield need to know? How are they going to apply 
the text. So when we're in the Gospel of John, you could make the argument, well, maybe everyone here is, or close to everyone here is saved. Well, we, we do a lot of altar calls or opportunities for people to, to choose to follow Jesus because I don't want to assume everybody in the room is saved. I think that's a dangerous assumption. But I would say that the target of Sunday morning is worship. Yeah. I would, I would just add that just because it's not coming from the pulpit doesn't mean it's not coming from the church. Sure. Right? Like our job as Bridge Bible Church is like every week you say, Bridge, you are sent. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the, the really meaningful conversion stories I hear, less and less of them are, are, I was sitting in church and heard the pastor give me the gospel. It's usually, oh, my friend that I played basketball with took me aside one day, or this friend kept taking me out to coffee, or this guy I used to go work out with. It's usually like in everyday life, doing life with unsaved people, sure, seeing an opportunity to share Jesus with them and taking it. And I would, I would, you know, that's the hard part about judging it based on the sermons is, you know, when that body gets sent out after that Sunday sermon, what kind of conversations are they having? And maybe the gospel is being given more so in those, in those circles. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I don't, I don't, I think if you have someone who's called to preach, the go- if the gospel's never present in the message, there's a problem. Sure. Absolutely. I think there's both factors. Like, you, you know, you want to have it present at some point, but then also it's also our job. Like, I don't want, I agree with that. It's yeah. the church's job. Like, so there's a model out there. And um, I think it started with guys that were evangelists at heart. And their mindset is, let's come up with creative ways to get people in the church and I'll share the gospel and people will get saved. So their people, their role, most of the time, is less sharing and more inviting. Well, I think it's great when we invite people to church. But I'm not not, uh, an evangelist at heart. I I have a heart for it, but I'm not... I wouldn't say that's my gift, but also too, I don't want the people in the church to rely on me or the elders because you guys have relationships that we don't have. So we're not going to do some of the the more outlandish or expensive kind of drawing things. You know, we're going to, we're going to equip you, encourage you to pray, encourage you to reach where you're at. And we're also not going to assume everyone's saved. We're going to, we're going to give very clear opportunities to follow Jesus. One of those is when we do communion. I don't know how you have a communion service without reminding, hey, this is a sacrament. This is sacred. There's a reason we're doing this. And someone could eat and drink judgment if they take it in the wrong way, right? I mean, well, <laughs> without knowing what without it really is. Without going into that <laughs> rabbit trail, there's a whole yeah, lot going on there. First sure. Corinthians 11, there's people showing up and they're wealthy people, you know, drinking too much wine and getting drunk and eating so much food that that was their meal and they weren't leaving any uh, for those that were workers that were getting there later. No, I so agree there's with a you. whole lot of stuff going I on there. I agree with you. Yeah, for sure. But again, you don't want to assume that everyone understands that as Paul says, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, you know, or, or we don't want to assume that everybody, there may be people that are not saved that don't know they're not because they don't have the clear understanding of what the gospel is. Right. They might say, well, I said the prayer when I was a kid saying, I heard somebody else say that too. So maybe, you know, maybe I'm saved, but, um, yeah, I think that what, and what is being taught and what is being preached, it seems that it does have to have those essentials to be clear so that 
there's a clear definition definition of what salvation is, what it looks like, and what it isn't. Sure. Or they do understand it, and they just maybe God hasn't just grabbed a hold of their heart yet, and they just don't want to. Like I know plenty of people who have like, oh yeah, I know, I understand this. I just okay, I don't want that. All right, so let's just let's break from script sure. for a second. Let's give a working definition for what the gospel is for someone tuning in. Maybe they, they like our church. They like some of the people that they've come in contact with. Um, if they were to pull one of you guys aside and say, all right, what well, we're talking about the gospel. What is the gospel? Yeah. One of the things that, that I see that seems to uh, be an inconsistency or uh, really isn't what, here's what I, the gospel isn't. If someone says, I have, sin- I have sinned before, mm-hmm. and because I have sinned, I need forgiveness for those mistakes that I made. If I had not done bad things, or if I had not chosen to do bad things, I wouldn't be a sinner. I'd need to be forgiven for these bad things I did. So where you're going is, you got to know the bad news first. Well, here's the thing, is that it's, <laughs> it's not that, here's where I think people miss the boat, or okay. can miss the boat is thinking that you need to be saved for the sins that you committed rather than you needing to be saved because you are by nature a sinner, whether you did things that you consider bad or not, you were a sinner before that. You were born as the, I have this, my kids make fun of me of this analogy that I bring up, but I said salvation isn't, we have our our cat and dog, okay? Mm We got the dog. We had the cat a long time. The dog comes. The cat starts emulating behaviors of the dog, begging and things like that. And it's hilarious to us. And so, like you were saying, we were watching the message and I paused it and I was wanting them to make it clear that just because that cat starts to act like the dog, Mm -hmm. that doesn't make that cat a dog. Right. It has to, we actually have to cease from being what we were to become something completely different it's from the inside out. Not it's the from the inside in. out. And let's be clear. Brian is not saying that his cat can turn into his dog. No, right. what I'm saying is my cat can <laughs> act like a dog. Even if my cat could bark, yeah. it's still not a dog yeah. that we, that there is a conversion that happens on the inside that, and we can act like Christians. We can, we can ha- carry a Bible around. We can go to church on Sunday and we can do all these things. That doesn't, because you do those things that Christians are doing, doesn't make you a Christian. There needs to be uh, a realization that you are by nature a sinner, just like that cat is a cat, can't be a dog no matter what, unless there's, and it's not the greatest explanation, but there there needs to be a death from being a cat. So that that person, so that that cat can become a dog. Now, <laughs> it doesn't really, yeah. No, it's it's kind of weird to say that, but I think analogy, people, it yeah, it's very sense. imperfect, but I think there's some understanding yeah. can be gleaned from that. Okay, so <clears throat> the a, word gospel comes from good news. Right. Good news, Jesus came would, yeah. to I, save us from yeah. our sin. Well, my elevator pitch would just be, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for our sins, so we could have a relationship with God. Right. And where is he now? He ascended to be with the Father as yep. our advocate. Yep. Which is, it's amazing. And again, there's a real danger in assuming that. So if you're hearing this and you've never heard the gospel before, you know, get in touch with us. We're not going to, 
We're not going to belittle you. We're not going to belittle the church that you came from. Listen, I was a youth pastor for years. I taught lots of things that nobody heard because uh, sometimes kids just miss it or sometimes people in church just miss it because we tend to think that, well, if it's said from the platform or it's said from the teacher that, that it was heard, you know, talking isn't teaching and listening isn't necessarily learning. And, you know, there's people there wondering, did I pay that bill? Ah, man, I wonder if I paid that bill or, you know, my mother-in-law or my father-in-law, they're, they're sick and they're thinking about, you know, someone in their family that's sick that they're worried about or something going on with their kids. They got all these things in their head while we're, you know, leading worship and teaching from the platform. So people aren't hearing what we're saying with a clean slate necessarily. And let's sure. be real. I'm not always effectively communicating. Yeah. We're human. I yeah. Mean, I might have a moment where I, you know, go off script or say something off the cuff or, I might just forget something that happens too. you know, I mean, the thing is, you know, when we Skip do entire sections of my message, yeah, when we record, how often does that happen live? And we don't even know it. Like when it's on Sundays, when you're in church, cause we, it, it's usually seamless. Like we always come away, you know, my wife and I are always, Oh, that was, that was pretty good. Yeah. It, like we don't notice mistakes. So how often do you come away? Like, Oh, I left this entire thing out. Like, <laughs> um, usually it's more like, I didn't say that in a way that I planned on saying that, or I hope to say that, or it didn't come across. Or, you know, when like seven people have the same question, yep. it's like, I didn't say that very well. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of important. So let me just read you, um, as I, as I'm saying to, um, you know, we can't assume the gospel or we can't let it be absent all the time. Um, also too, we don't want to abandon the gospel and Paul kind of gives that warning in Galatians one, uh, six through nine. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So like, if you're not like looking at the gospel as, Hey, this Jesus sacrificed himself to pay my penalty, to bring me peace with God. The wrath of God was on him. The favor of God is on me. There's an exchange. I get to follow him and serve him and live with him forever as a worshiper. You're, you're maybe not in it for, for recognizing what the, what the major need is. But then he says, verse 7, not that there is another one, there's not another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That was happening in the first century. We get like 30 years from the resurrection of Christ, and already there's false gospels trying to infiltrate the church. And then he says... Um, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be a curse. So he's like, even an angelic being, don't listen, you know, let them be condemned. And verse nine, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be a curse. So when we start to add things to the gospel, like um, a real popular thing to say right now is, We'll come to Jesus. He'll make your life better. Now, I I agree with that statement, but you have to define what better is. Right. You know, if you're not careful, better takes you to a place that's not the gospel. It's not the better that I think it's going to be right. necessarily. Yeah. Do I think it's better walking with Jesus? Absolutely. The life I've lived, if I had to experience everything I've experienced without the Holy Spirit convicting me of sin, comforting me in times of trouble leading me into all truth, reveal God revealing himself through his word. If I had to do this life without that, yeah, that would not be bad. I can't even imagine where I'd be without Jesus. Like 
but, going through life without that. But I if can't. you don't define what better is. Yeah. Better is relative. Yeah. People start to put something in there and say, well, well, better is being healthier. Better is having more money. Better is having success. Health. Yeah. The health, wealth, and prosperity. So I, I think where we run into trouble is when we're not carefully defining it the way the Bible defines it, then we can kind of skid. Yeah. And so, so that I think that's the checkpoint for us it, it is couplefold. One, we got to make sure we're getting it right in our own life. If I'm, if I'm asking, if I'm counting on the gospel experience, the salvation experience to be anything other than I've got to die to myself to follow the one who gave up everything to bring me peace with God, to bring me forgiveness of sins. There needs to be repentance in my life, evidence that there's a transformation that's occurred because of the Holy Spirit. Now, keep that in mind. Repentance doesn't get you that. Repentance is a sign of that. Yeah. I read a book a couple of years back um, by a guy named Bob Lenz, I think it is. And uh, I, was at a, I was at a concert. I was at a Newsboys concert years ago. I know he, that name. he gave a gospel presentation in the middle of it. And his book is called Grace, for those who think they don't measure up. And there's a whole chapter in there where basically we can backslide into forgetting we were saved by grace and go back to behaving as if we're saved by works. Right. And that, that was very interesting. But here's the scary part of that. Worst case scenario, or best case scenario, you become prideful and you've made it about you. Worst case scenario, you're never saved to begin with. Yeah. That's the scary yeah. aspect of that. So one, we got to remind ourselves. And two, when we're with people we love, just like pastors, when they're with the, the people that they're serving, the people that they love, we should not assume that the people that are saved. My youth pastor said this thing to me one time. I'll never forget this. Good friend of mine, Bill Opperman. We're talking about reaching lost people. He's like, yeah, we've got a lot of lost people that think they're saved that come to our church and we're trying to get them saved. He's like, we got a whole bunch of those. And this it, is like, wow, that's a reality check. Yeah. We probably have more people unsaved in our churches than we really. That's what was going on in our youth group back in the day when I was at my old church. We, you know, most of our youth group their parents did not come to church and they right. were, they were unsaved unchurched kids most of the time at our youth group, which ministry is messy enough. It's messy when you've got a youth group full of unsaved unchurched kids, especially when their parents aren't involved. Right. A lot of youth groups are, you know, there's a lot of youth groups out there where there are church kids that grew up in church and it was just a, like such a different dynamic. So, right. Um, okay. Could, do you guys have anything you want to add to that, that point? Or are we ready to move on to the second one? Um, no, yeah, we I have well. a really quick question. So sure. the gospel itself, you know, a lot of people view it as a past tense event, right? I mm -hmm. got saved. I was saved, but there's, I don't understand this fully, but I've, I've read parts of scripture where it says we're being saved. Like it's a present tense thing as well. Is that something we need to be mindful of as well? Um, I mean, or is it that not as important when we're talking about the gospel message? Oh, I like to believe there's a moment for most people where you can say, this is the moment I recognize I was a sinner right. being saved. This is the moment I chose to follow my savior. Um, I would say, I, I, I would, I, I would rather use the term sanctification that that's if, as things are continuing and progressing, that's that being set apart and made holy and God, you know, yeah. starting to, you know, run the cleaner through your life. Yeah. I've, I've just heard people say they don't remember when they got saved, well, but they know they're saved some, now. I think for some people it's been a process. Sure. They've been around good people that love Jesus mm -hmm. and they've experienced the love of Jesus. They've heard it over and over. 
And at some point they just realized they were following Jesus. I think that does happen. Okay. Um, we're always looking for, listen, we're, we're, we like stories in America and it's like, you know, I've heard people say, I don't want to give my testimony because it's not that exciting. I'm like, no, praise God for a boring testimony. Jesus saved you. Yeah, that's, dude. That's testimony it, enough. It's like, they want to be like, well, I was in drugs and I murdered a guy. You don't have guy. to get stabbed and shot. I and... should be in jail, and but God kept me out to preach the gospel. There's it's a like, whole song about that. It's yeah. like, yeah. Can we just, pass? if you got a boring testimony, that's a wonderful testimony. Yeah. You've been walking with Jesus and you avoided a lot of heartache. Yeah, absolutely. So. I've, I've, yeah, I've heard so many, I've told you about the 3 a.m. fights in my dorm room in Bible college of like, is prayer necessary for salvation? Do I have to ask Jesus to save me or is it a heart decision? Like right. so many different things you could talk about, but yep. yeah. All right. The second point in the article. And again, we're, we're, <coughs> we're reading this as a guidepost for us, uh, as a reminder of the importance of this. Uh, his observation was hearing all these sermons. Repentance rarely comes across as something urgent and necessary. Instead, it's either optional or not worth mentioning at all. Hmm. And so again, the checkpoint for us is when we're sharing our faith with others, one, do we, do we recognize how important repentance is? You know, it's basically changing your mind. You're, you're agreeing with God. You're agreeing with God of what sin is, which again, you try to tell someone in a pluralistic culture, right and wrong. They're going to, they're going to skewer you because they don't want to buy into that. That's literally the translation, right? Repent is like to say again or something like to, that, or to say the same thing that God says about sin, basically to speak the same. Yeah. I think is a literal word for word, but yeah, it's, it's changing. It's a, a, a mind change. So, so we have to recognize what's urgent for us individually. It's urgent for us to communicate. And, um, you guys lead life groups. Um, when people, and again, not naming names, sometimes an issue keeps coming up it because it's an issue of repentance. They don't, they haven't repented of a particular sin or an issue. Um, do you guys have any uh, experience or, or uh, things that, that you observe, uh, whether it's been in your past experience, present experience um, of how important repentance is to the Christian life? So the Christian life. Yeah. I think you, you can, um, People can be so focused on the event of when they got saved and that that is the only thing, the only repentance that needed to be done. Yep. And like what Kevin was saying thing. is that there's, there is a process of sanctification that is overlooked because we could, we could look at the process, we could look at getting saved as that's it. And everything done after this means nothing because um, it, we're all about that. But then <clears throat> there's a verse that says, as you receive the Lord, so walk in him. Mm -hmm. So I think that what's important about the gospel is it's, it's important in the getting saved, the beginning, the spiritual birth, but it also has to be, um, like you said, Kevin, the process of being saved. Yeah. Sanctification. That, sanctification. That's not losing your salvation, getting it back every day. No. That's not that. What that is. I'm being chiseled. Like yeah, the marble's exactly. getting chiseled away to be more like Christ. Right. And it's, First John's a great book for that. Like the whole point of First John is assurance of your salvation. I mean, when you read through it, it's, hey, here's how you can have an idea if you're saved or not. Go through mm -hmm. these things. Is this true in your life? Is this not true in your life? Yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of clarity there. You can look at those things. Who... Whoever is of like you walk in the light, 
that's a characteristic of somebody who's saved. Are you yeah. walking in darkness or are you walking in the light? So, no, that was a great point, man. That's oh, yeah, and along point. with that, there's there's an incident with John the Baptist. I don't know if you guys remember this story. It's in Matthew chapter uh, 3, where the Pharisees are like, they're kind of curious, so they're showing up to hear what John the Baptist is preaching about. And so he sees them and he calls out, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then in verse <laughs> eight, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance mm. and mm. do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as, I, as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. He's, he's basically calling him out saying, look, it's not about your lineage, you know, keep bearing fruit in line with repentance. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's him, him kind of calling out some religious people and I think that if you're a true believer, you're never going to quit recognizing sin yeah. and trying to repent. And we balance that with go and sin no more, right? We sure. balance with trying to not just repent when we sin, but also to not sin in the first place where, you know, we don't want to go on sinning. So grace increases and there's yeah, a balance there. But, and I love how John MacArthur puts it. It's like the Holy Spirit doesn't always override our will when it comes to growing in faith. Um, our will is partnering with the Holy Spirit in there being life changing. That's us. good. And I think that's a, just a really healthy reminder that we, we can't make, we can't just put repentance out of the equation. Now, let me ask a question in your guys's mindset. Why would there be a temptation to leave out repentance when sharing the gospel? It's hard to hear. Okay. It's hard pill to swallow. Like if I hear you've done wrong, you need to own this. That's a blow to my pride. Yep. I may not want to swallow that pill. Right. It's just, it's not as palatable. I think it's that simple. I guess another thing could be that pe people even today are still, Jesus is attractive from the standpoint of who he was. He drew a lot of people to himself with the fishes and the loaves and things like that uh, when he was here. And so, um, there can be a temptation, I would imagine, to not scare people away if there may be a financial edge in keeping people around. Yeah. And not, that sounds horrible, but it could be, let's just take it easy, warm them up to it, and event, you know, eventually we'll get around to it. We don't need to, we don't need to be so black and white right now i could have a church full in two weeks if i started a church i could go buy a building and i'll just you know give out free food i'll get a cool band free beer yeah free beer alcohol i'll always pack it out right. it'll just become a big club in kent you know right. I'll, I'll tell them all that they're perfect the way they are they don't need to change anything and i will have that place packed out with a line out the door in less than a week and that's just it's easier it's easier to keep people when they're comfortable it's uncomfortable. Now let me let me bring this into more of an interpersonal realm. Okay, so we had a conversation yesterday. I don't know if you remember. Don't want to give out names or details, but um, friend of mine, good friend of mine, um, was approached by a ministry leader that hurt him, and a ministry leader said, "Well, I've changed. I've repented." And and I asked the question. I said, "What did he say he repented of?" Well, they didn't. Why Why do you think it's a, it's important for us? Uh, when we're coming to grips with our sin, you use the word, you know, it's offensive to tell someone you have to own this. Yeah, it's hard. Why is that an important part of, well, first of all, it's important in human relationships. 
there for there to be repentance and, and like you shouldn't have to tell the person what they're sorry for. Yeah. You know, you might have to do that with a child, but not, not with a grown up. But second, why is it important interpersonally? And then second, why is that important in our walk with God? Well, it's what separates the gospel from every other religion because the re every other religion is, I have to do these things. It's about my effort, what I do. Mm -hmm. And there's a pride there. Oh, I did enough. I'm good. Mm -hmm. You know, pray these prayers, go to on this pilgrimage, you know, do these tenants, buy these, get these relics. But with us, when you, when you have to swallow that pillow, there's nothing you can do. You are just, you stink. Like, sure. you know, like that is a blow to your pride. And I think it, it, it separates the gospel from, from all of the other half truths out there. And it's how we can tell it apart is when it starts to be about human effort. Yep. That's a red flag that okay. it's not that gospel. So I th what you said is true. Okay, I'm not denying that, but why is it, why, why is the repentance piece of that, like, knowing what you're repenting of, and whether it's us and another person, and also us and God, what, what does it show us when we, like, you use the word, able to own it? Yeah. Well, I think people can say, when they know they need to say something to get what they want, um, they can just, they can look at the situation and realize, oh, I see they want me to say sorry. Right. And then I'll be out of the hot water if I just say sorry. And if you're not specific, they, you know, the classic, if I offended you, I'm sorry. That's not a real It's apology. so open-ended. It's just like, I'm sorry you feel that way. If you were offended, I'm sorry. That wasn't a real apology. I'm sorry you feel that way. If you were offended, which makes you weak. Then I'm sorry that you were offended. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, how about this too? I, and you know, and just to kind of put a capstone on what you guys just said, um, God's not looking for us to say we're sorry or, you know, my bad. I mean, that, that was something we said in high school a lot. We really didn't feel that way. I mean, we, right. we recognize we messed up, but there was no like weight or gravity to the mistake we made. It's like when we made a bad play, a bad pass in hockey or something. Oh, my bad. You know, it was like no real remorse there. But I think when you're able to identify interpersonally, this is what I'm repenting of. This is what I'm asking forgiveness for. And when, you, when you're able to do that interpersonally and with, with God, it does show that your heart has been turned. You agree with God that the way you've been living is offensive to him. Or interpersonally, you, you recognize that something you said or a behavior or a way that you've hurt someone was wrong and harmful. So I, I think that repentance needs to be present in interpersonal relationships in our walk with God. Yeah. So. I think it's important that you mentioned this way earlier, but like in scripture, the offended person needs to go to the offender. Is that correct? No gospel for okay. gospel people. It's always your turn. Okay. If someone offends like you, that. yes, you, you, you should go. Okay. If you know you've offended someone, it says in Matthew, leave your gift at the altar and, mm -hmm. and, and go and make things right with yeah. your brother before you, offer your gift because yeah, i've had people i've had people come to me and say hey you said this thing and and i, I kind of took offense i didn't even realize yeah you know i'm like oh thank you for coming to me with that like i'm so sorry i i'll make sure to keep that in mind going forward like i would have never if they had never come to me i would have never known i offended them or, sure. or wronged them you know but see that's different see sure you didn't know you offended them now to kind of put another you know element to this without going too deep into it there are people in my life that um have done some harmful things that I've forgiven, but the relationship hasn't been reconciled. 
because they haven't owned it or they haven't, maybe they don't realize it. Maybe they don't, they haven't taken what I said seriously. And the forgiveness is already there for them. I don't hold them to a debt, but there's not going to be a relationship unless those things are made right in some cases, because, uh, and you know, we've, we've had talk about this in previous podcasts. We've come from some interesting backgrounds. We've, some of us have had some toxic experiences and until we know that person owns that and is going to do different, it's not wise to allow them back into your life. Not as, not out of a sense of like you're holding a grudge, but more of a, you're not allowing there to be the opportunity for you to start developing bitterness yeah. if they're going to continue living and walking in that mm. way. So does, does true forgiveness and maybe not God to me because Jesus has paid the penalty, but maybe person to person, does true forgiveness when someone's repentant require restitution of any kind or is forgiveness possible without any restitution? I think it depends on the offense. I mean, I, I think gospel people will look to make restitution. I mean, we talk about that in marriage counseling a lot, you know, when there's an offending party, it's what are you going to do to make this up to your spouse? You know, th those are important things to do. Now, the spouse on the receiving end, they, they need to be given some time and space to walk through forgiveness, especially depending on the, the offense. But for example, if you've got, if you got a party, a married, married couple, and one party in that couple is habitually committing adultery, you know, some, some would say, oh, you just got to forgive them forgive and forget. It's like, no, there needs to be repentance and change or, you know, kick them out of the house. Mm. You have to earn any, any kind of trust you, you would have back. I mean, it's, you don't just start with a clean slate, you know? Right. So, yeah. I mean, Jesus washes away our sins, but he doesn't, he doesn't wash away our memories. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we still remember, right. we can't forget. God can forget sins. You and me, not so much. Is but here, what but here's the flip side said. of that. There, there are some people and you probably know some, I know some, that have been really, really deeply wounded in ways that are just unimaginable. And they're like, what is wrong with me? I, I can't forgive right away. It's like, no, you're working towards forgiveness. You're meeting with a counselor. You're, you're doing some journaling. You're, you're doing some work. I felt that for yeah. being bitter. It's like, am I, am I, what is wrong with me that I can't just forgive this person? And that's not the right attitude. No, no you got to give yourself so, some great. If you're trying good. to forgive, if you're pursuing forgiveness, that honors God. Yeah, and it's such a, a delicate, difficult thing because it it plays into our our mental um, uh, quality. Yep. Uh, if somebody has done something wrong to you, and you and it has you're not able to process it properly, it's playing in your head. Yep. All the time, and so um, I think in my experience, I've had to find out. I you know I've been offended and. There's been times where it wasn't my fault, and there were times where I saw the road I went down that led me to that situation. Sure. And so I had to l look at my blame in mm -hmm. it. Um, not that that justifies the person, but it, it causes me to see where my weaknesses were and how I put myself in a bad place. Right. Mm -hmm. It's good. Let's kind of come full circle. So all that stemmed from a conversation uh, focusing on repentance as needing to be, uh, for a believer, urgent and necessary. It's an important part of our walk with Christ. It should be, a believer should live a lifestyle of repentance. Okay, so let's move to point number three. Uh, the author made the observation that while the 
prosperity gospel was absent, the shadows of the prosperity gospel lurked in the background. So when you hear that, what are what are you uh, what kind of overtones do you think that uh, make their way into gospel presentations or or even sermons and sermon series? Just based on that that point he made. Well, I th- there's a. I don't know what. I don't know if you call the word scam comes to my head. Okay, <laughs> that's a good word. <laughs> and where you people have done this where they've used the the scriptures to see where it does talk about when you give to God, God does return and have inserted themselves into the place where if you give to me, you're given to God. And when you do that, he's then going to pr- prosper you and make you rich. And so... Um, now, let me ask you a question. Why, why is that leak into ministries mindsets because there is a truth there yeah there's a truth there if you give i i believe if you you're following biblical principles of giving you're giving regularly faithfully um you're giving god your first fruits when 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 you can i mean there's some people that are so far in debt or and so far in poverty it would be it would be a sin to try to you know encourage them and there's some churches that go up in poor neighborhoods that, you know, are trying to convince these people that God will bless them tenfold, a hundredfold. I heard a Christmas message from a church not too far from here in, you know, Akron, uh, promising that God would bless them tenfold, whatever they gave and gave a illustration of that. And, uh, that that's wrong. But the, the trick is we do want to be people that are looking at our money stewarding it faithfully and believing that if we honor God, he will honor us. Now might not be in material blessing, might not be in tangible financial blessing, but I do believe there is, there is, there's a reward that goes with obedience. There, one, there's a joy and two, you do see God's provision in very supernatural ways. I think I have absolutely. It's, it's been mind boggling. There have been times where I've trusted God and, I, I, see, I literally one day came home and saw a check from a job I no longer worked that I did not expect that just was in my mailbox. You know what I mean? And I think we talked about this in life group where I, I used to feel badly because I saw people in need and didn't have the means to help them. People sure. that are short on their bills, people that are struggling, I'm like, man, I wish I could just feed them. I wish I could just pay their bills. And then you comforted me with the fact of like, Hey, when you give to bridge Bible church, you're doing that. Right, because we have means to help these people, and and you're seeing your resources be used for the kingdom of God, whether it's in missions or to uh, whether it's through benevolence or other things we do. Like that's a comfort to know that, like, hey, I'm doing my part, and God's taking that money and running with it. Sure. Um, and so well, that's here's kind of another a way God's kind of. I believe God stretches your money. One of our deacons is very in tune with the local um, social services, and so they get people on programs that we couldn't afford to set people up on. But, you know, it's, I think it's us using our resources wisely so that we do have funds to help out with groceries, rent, and things like that for people that need it. But I I guess where we want to talk about, okay, I believe God honors cheerful givers. Um, So where does does this go wrong? Because it's important for us to be able to identify that because, you know, if you're listening to this, I want to say through this COVID-19, 
we've had some faithful givers helping support our church. Yep. And we're so thankful for them. And um, people have done some things to help help out um, service wise. Uh, people have given faithfully. Um, some people have um, they've just gone above and beyond for our church. And we've done our best to keep our expenses down too. But where does that where does that bait and switch start to happen? Where we're no longer talking about being obedient, and we're getting into that territory that you called scam. Because I yeah. I think it's a great word, by the way. <clears throat> yeah, I think well, I think that's where it does go wrong is when you have people that uh, use that verse uh, to their own benefit or to their own ministry. And uh, I guess it's not rude to even. I mean, there there are those who have been on TV that have. Just like Jesus said, they devour widows' houses. Yep. They convince people to give, you know, their life savings or mortgage their house so that they can support a ministry with the promise that God is going to give it in uh, in abundant return. You know, or they cash in their entire retirement for to be saved from cancer. There was a mm-hmm. yeah. There was a show called Preachers of LA, I think. Yeah, saw that. And that was yeah. That was interesting, man. Let me tell you. Too, and there was a, yeah, and there was also a guy who didn't claim to be he. He actually claimed he was in Puerto Rico. I don't know if you heard of him. There was a there was a guy in Puerto Rico that started like a cult, and he claimed to be the second coming yep, of Christ. Saw that too. Yep. <laughs> and uh, Jose Miranda or something like that. Yep. And he had people just giving so much money. He had yep. rings, and I think the disc. To answer your question, I think when the when the when the when the clergy and the pastor and whoever is benefiting to a very high level while the people in the church are suffering yep. and the people in the church are not having their needs met. I think that's where the disconnect starts. Yep. That's my opinion. I think too, uh, another problem is, and this is something Jess and I talked about a long time ago. I think we were still youth pastors and we we're like, we got to get this right because you know, I'm not I, at the time I wasn't making major decisions with the church budget, but you know, I'm making decisions on events and speakers and, spending a lot of money that's not mine and it's like how can we in good conscience make decisions with with money that is god's money it's ministry money yeah through that that came from the tithes and offerings of people if we're not also giving i think that's the key to giving right because people it's the reason people hate paying taxes because they think they're getting wasted it's a reason some people might (laughs) not want to give to their church because they they don't know that the church is going to steward the money well. Right. And I think the more for me personally, when I got to know you and got to know the elders and got to know bridge at first, when I got here, I wasn't super comfortable, but as I, as you guys made me feel so comfortable and I got to know your hearts for the church and your heart is not to be selfish and hoard money. Your, your heart is to, you're always, you guys are always concerned at how are you best using every penny? And that was what made me so comfortable. Okay, here you go. Like, I know it's going to get used the right way. Sure. You know, and also I think there's a, there needs to be a degree of trust that God's going to, you know, do the right thing with the money because he, of course he doesn't make mistakes, but I think all our elders at our church and a lot of elders that I know at other churches that I'm good friends with. Yeah. We all have this healthy fear that we are going to stand before God someday. Yeah. And we're going to have to answer questions, how we use the money, how we use our time, what ministry avenues did we pursue? And, uh, we, we have that healthy fear that we're going to have to answer. So here's how I think we, we keep from slipping into a, a scam or a prosperity gospel, even lurking in the background is there's plenty of promises in scripture 
that you can share with non-believers that God made. I will never leave you nor forsake you. End of revelation. He's going to wipe away every tear from every eye when we see him face to face. There's all these wonderful promises that are in scripture that are available to all believers. James talks about if someone lacks wisdom, all they got to do is ask for it. There's so many good things God offers his children that we don't, we don't have to make something up or abuse a text like, like we've seen on some of the televangelists. We, there, there's so many good things God offers his children that we could focus on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't, we don't need to package it, market it. You know, am I making sense? We don't need to water yeah, it down. There's more than, <laughs> it's more than just money. Yeah. yeah. Is that kind of where you're more than money, uh, more than health, um, or more than what the world would call good. Maybe we're just, we're circling back to what is sure. What is, what is good. What yeah. is good. It's all relative. Well, well you know, I had this, whoops. No, you're good. You and I've had this conversation about even some of the conversations that are taking place in the political realm about healthcare. And I hear people talking. It's almost like they believe that, Hey, if we get the right healthcare plan, people will stop dying. We'll stop dying. We'll discover immortality. No, I no. mean our hope. This this world is not our home. There was an actually there was an episode of The Big Bang Theory where uh, I think Sheldon's trying to like figure out how to transfer his consciousness into a robot. Yes, and so he goes on like an all cruciferous vegetable diet mm-hmm. to try and live long enough so that they'll discover it and he won't die. So yeah. he's just eating Brussels sprouts and it's just hilarious. Did he have a robot um, gas or something? Yeah, it was something like that. Episode. Yeah. Right. No. <laughs> okay, so the last point brought up, and we're gonna we'll kind of end after we break this one down. He says the use of the Bible generally fell into two categories: misuse or abuse. First question: How do we as Christians avoid that pitfall in our own life? Uh, I guess not going to a verse that seems to suggest your point, mm-hmm. or using the Bible to reinforce what you're trying to say. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and going read. to imright.org and finding <laughs> that. <laughs> what so is you, what is agree with what agrees with me? Which so, verse is that? So how do you do that though? I mean, what what's a context? There you go. Yeah, go learn read, exegesis, my friend. Into it. Um, yeah, yeah d- definitely that. And I know I've been caught up into some different ideas and groups where a verse that was brought out was, oh my goodness, I, I can't believe I see that verse and that seems to say this, then uh, everything then gets focused on that and it's as if that's the only verse, like like the rest of the Bible's blank and you, you, and you <laughs> like turn, turn to this not. section, there's like three <laughs> verses and that's the only ones we really yeah. pay attention to. Judge not is the only verse in the Bible for some people. Yeah. That's all they know. Yeah, they, and they know all the verses that they support their point of view and all the vo- verses they disagree with. So it's like, then how can you take how can you cut and paste, you know? Yep. So this, I think it's important. I love what you say always when you say like, you are not the hero of this passage, right? Like God is the hero of this. <laughs> yeah. Like you are not David and this is your Goliath. Like that's not the point. You Stop know, putting I, yourself in the story. I, I've said that to people. And then they start sending me clips where, you know, these guys are teaching these passages. Like you are the hero of this. I've passage. seen so many people do it. It's yeah. so easy to be like, yeah, you're the David and this is the giant in your life yeah. and you need to, <laughs> but my, is that what it really said? My no. inbox gets full. Cause I make a comment like that. And then everyone finds those messages. And but I didn't even think about that until I met you and you said that, Yeah. you know, I'm in, I'm halfway through my twenties and I am just now caught that it, right. like it just went right by me, never catching. And I think that's the thing, right? It's so easy to just, it's easy listening and we don't catch it. I wonder why that is, you know? 
Well, again, it makes I think, sense. Well, Let me hear it. Let's let's talk about some things that happen. Um, you know, I do have Bible college background. I I haven't gone to seminary. I've taken one seminary class, taken a couple ordination programs, read some books, been mentored by some guys. But like, you get a lot of guys with less Bible education than than me, uh, even, and uh, they hear these messages that meant so much to them, and they they teach them how they were taught. And so I don't think it, I don't think sometimes, I don't think it's, it's intentional. I think like there's this book I just, I'm about to finish by Costi Hinn. He, uh, it's called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. And God he, what? God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. Yeah, it's a great book. And um, he tells a story about how he was this new youth pastor at this church and was going to preach on this passage. And someone handed him a commentary. And the passage was on healing, and he's Benny Hinn's nephew. He's like, oh, I know all about healing. We're going to close the deal. We're going to see people get, get, get healed. And then he reads the passages like one guy out of a whole bunch gets healed. He's like, well, wait a minute. We're used to all these people claiming healing. And so he had to go on this journey uh, of, of learning scripture, and he became an assistant pastor under the authority of these other godly men, and he's learning the word of God, and, and he's trying to... Pre- you know, not be that guy that misuses or abuses yeah. text. Well, to, to piggyback off that and, and really touch quick on the last point too, is the prosperity gospel. There's also a, I think we've talked about before a poverty gospel, oh my goodness. right? Yeah. I mean, the, this idea that you got to go be poor for Jesus yeah, and sell like all the, your like clothes. The guy that, and like they took all the, the crackers from their kids. So they yeah, can give extra money to the missions yeah. budget. It's like the, if the pastor's not allowed to like, make decent make a decent living have a nice house and have th- like his kids have toys at christmas like that shouldn't be a, a thing where we vilify the pastor <laughs> like i shouldn't have to go live in a cardboard box you know what i mean if there's a balance there i if, think we can get if too you far. find some older pastors who either worked on free will offering or uh no guys that have the stories of people starving them out of the church yeah or are, are heartbreaking yeah it's it, well, the, and the thing is that the kids grow up re, like resenting the church because it's like right. you completely destroyed my childhood. You know what I mean? Right. I couldn't have toys at Christmas because of you guys. You know what right. I mean? You know, you don't want that. And and can I just say, I was, and I'm for the record, Pastor Dave does not live in a mansion. I was so thrilled when you guys moved to Brimfield and got your house and got moved in and all that. Like, and just to see how happy you guys were to be like, to really feel at home, like in the community. Oh, I, gotta tell you, I was super that. encouraged by that. So we, the day we got the keys for the house, um, the people we got the house from, I don't think they realized their dog like nailed the carpet. I remember and it, that. And it was fresh. And I'm looking, at, and I'm looking at the carpet. It was way worse than I, I knew before because there was furniture there and, and the, some of the linoleum floors were, were torn up. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, I'm just, I'm like gut shot. The smell. <laughs> and I'm just like. It's like Michael's gonna, office. What are we going to do? And so. <laughs> We had people from church that stopped by. It's like, what can we do to help you move in? And we're thinking painting. And we started talking about floors and I was so afraid. Oh my goodness, we're going to come across as so pretentious. And the the couple that was there, I, I just thank God. They pulled me aside. They said, we're so glad you're taking care of those floors. We didn't know how you were going to live in this house with, with your allergies. Like they, like they were concerned for me. They, they weren't like upset with me at all. I mean, it just, it took like a huge yeah. burden. And you have a church that's happy to see you doing well and, yeah. and happy to see you happy. And that's, right. there's not a lot, there's some churches that are not 
happy to see their pastor doing well. You know what I mean? Yeah. So no, I, yeah, it's heartbreaking what some guys go through. And what I, my, our elders have always been very gracious to everyone we've had on staff here. And, uh, I'm just thankful for them. And, uh, I, I know that I've, I've worked in situations where we had a guy that never took raises or kept the staff poor. And it's just like, dude, please take a raise. We're like barely making it. And then there's a, I've been in a situation where the guy at the top takes so much, there's nothing less for the rest of the staff. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's a hard line to walk. You gotta, yeah, you gotta do, find that balance. You gotta do right by, you know, your team and. Um, yeah, and I think pastors, they misuse that passage of, you know, your pastor's worth, the guy who preaches is worth double honor. Well, yeah, he shouldn't be, like you talked about earlier, he shouldn't be living that lifestyle that's way above. But the other side of that too is, your guy's got to make good decisions with money. And that was something, I didn't grow up in a in a family that thought that way, and it's it's been a transition yeah. into adulthood to... Yeah. Well, Paul has a whole section on paying pastors. Sure. A lot of people don't even think it's about paying pastors. There's a lot of pastors that are very familiar with those scriptures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe too familiar. I, th- I forget what I, I thought that passage was about one thing. And my pastor's like, no, it's about paying pastors. I was like, oh, I never would have got that on my own. <laughs> yep. Well, and here's the deal too. Um, there may be a day where we come together as the church did in the first century. I mean, this, this coronavirus stuff has opened a lot of our eyes that uh, money is finite. And uh, we think we live in a free society. We, you know, again, I'm not criticizing the virus or even the measures, but there's some people really hurting because their right to work has been taken away. Yep. It's people. Yep. There's businesses that are closing that will never open again. Yep. And I'm blessed that I'm not one of them, but I couldn't imagine. <sighs> one of my neighbors does food delivery for, you know, high-end restaurants mostly. He thinks 20% of the restaurants in Brimfield are going to close. Imagine, yeah, it's, we could, I don't even want to get into that, but it's just, it's, it's sad to see. And, you know, I almost wish I was like living self-sustainably right now where I just had my own farm and my own food and my own everything. Cause I wouldn't have a worry in the world right now. Right. right. You know, maybe I'll play in a garden after this is all over. <laughs> oh, my wife is, we're buying garden stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. No, it's tough, man. So yeah, the, the reminder is uh, to make sure that we're always interpreting scripture rightly. You can't interpret a psalm the same way you interpret uh, a gospel narrative. can't interpret a letter that Paul wrote to a specific group of people the same way you'd interpret Genesis. Um, with that, um, uh, just, just some food for thought. I got a book that I read in Bible college on interpretation of kicking around the idea of offering a Bible interpretation class kind of based on that book is the textbook. Uh, be an interesting thing to do for people that want to teach or go deeper. And then this summer, we're going to do a series called God didn't say that. And it's just going to be a bunch of passages that people take out of context and build a whole theology and (laughs) slang terms and phrases to say on that. So we'll be discussing that hopefully this summer. So guys can help me uh, come up with some fun ways to present some of that. So, Mm -hmm. well, that's, that's where I thought, you know, the article had some good reminders for us. Um, it's easy to be the one, you know, criticizing other churches, but I think, uh, I love the phrase. We gotta, we gotta preach to ourselves first yep. and make sure we're, we're, we're getting it right. Yeah. And let me just encourage you. Like I, we've gone through these four points. I personally have not seen any of these red flags in our church and don't get a big head about it, but <laughs> you're doing a pretty good job. Yeah. So just continue in that and, and know that like, 
if if any i'm sure i would have i probably would have brought it to your attention if i had picked up any of those things but well, well there's been times i have I, I can think of a couple of times i haven't gotten it right sure I've had to have hard conversations about it and even go as far as to say yeah i, I had really thought that all the way through um, yep. One particular message comes to mind. I don't want to point it out so everybody goes and listens. But I think your I think your intention, like to me, has always been good. And you've never had like, oh, I'm trying to mislead these people. It's never been that. I don't, you know. So I, you're doing a good job, in my opinion. I've I've listened to, not just I've heard your sermons a couple times lately yeah, because right. you know we've been recording. I've heard them a couple times. Like, I didn't like what I said. Yeah, so I've, I've really given these a good listen, and <laughs> you're really intentional about trying to make sure these sound like. That not just that they sound good, but that they are, you know, true and that you're giving people truth in a way that they can understand it and digest it. And, it, and that's important. My, so. my motive, um, I, I don't know when I realize this, my motive has to be how can I serve our people with this text Yep. or with this series or, you know, and so again, that, that's, if I ever stray from that, then I'm doing something that not being true to myself and, and what I believe God's calling is for pastors. And, and again, it goes back to that, you know, the whole idea about the gospel. It's not about what we do. You know, it's really when you're a pastor. What's... Well, you guys have any closing thoughts? This was a fun discussion. I was a little nervous when I floated the idea, but I think it turned out really well. These kind of conversations can get out of hand really easily. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think we did. We had a few sidebars, but I thought they were, we'll find out they were by, helpful. We'll helpful. find out by next week if we got out of hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's so many ways we could go with it, but uh, it does always c come back to the simple stuff is uh, keeping the gospel clear. Um, you know, just the points here about repentance, and, you know, it being less about psychology and trying to learn the attributes of Christ and follow them in a, uh, in a self-help way and, you know, not having the the promise that if you just give us money, God will give you more. Yeah, that's kind not, of thing. It's not who we are. Yeah. You could build you could build a church pretty quick like that because. Yeah. Um, but if you know it, the the church will grow slower and stronger with the truth, and it it feels like that's that's yeah. the trajectory that we're we're on. I th I just think you know going. F I've always had this philosophy that if your heart's in the right place and you try your best to do things right, I think God blesses your effort. And I think at Bridge, you know, you, you're somebody who I'm like, oh no, this was fine, or this was good. And you're like, no, you know, I wanna get this right. And I'm like, no, I like that you wanna get it right, and you wanna get yeah. it good. But I think at the end of the day, we're gonna make mistakes, we're gonna mess things up, leave things out, forget things. In just daily life, we do that, right? right. I think at Bridge, I think as a church, our heart is in the right place, like with the land, right? our hearts in the right place and building a building. However we go with that. I think if we're really seeking God's will, maybe we won't get all the processes right. We might make a few mistakes, but I think God is going to bless those efforts because we trust him and well, because we're seeking his will. And you guys, you, last fall, I mean, this is all fresh in our mind. The elders, we just walked through open doors. And when we had a vote, we were, we were trying to make sure we answered all the questions that people would have because that's what wise people do we weren't trying to convince anyone in fact we we were looking for the vote that was the first affirmation that buying the land was the right decision and it was it was only one dissenting vote and and they were they were okay 
But then the second step was how God provided through his people. So uh, for me, all those were, were, we're going to be faithful. We're going to, we're going to be leading as a team. Um, we, we've got great elders at bridge and I love yeah. serving with them, but um, we're all looking for God's will. This is not built on the backs of men. And, yeah. and you couldn't raise that much money to buy that land. If it was just, unless you're scamming people, I guess, I, I don't know. I'm God yeah. is doing something there. I'm not, you yeah. know, well, it's just like with sharing the gospel. Like I yep. get, I get into a trap where I overthink, did I say the right thing? Did I have the right tone? Was I unclear? If my heart is really to share the gospel and share Jesus with this person, I, th I think God's going to help me out. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not saying he's going to, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to start speaking in tongues, but you know, I just think maybe sometimes we overthink the, the details of what, what I say and how I say it. And, and I think there's a balance between getting the process right and then just trusting God to, to, to work. So, yeah, I think you, I think you practice it so yeah. that you're ready when the opportunity presents sure. itself. But once you're in the opportunity, you trust in the work the Holy Spirit's doing yeah. in you and through you and in the heart of the hearer. Yeah. Don't be scared to go for it. Cause you're afraid mm -hmm. you might not get it right. You know, and you're right. And we're not selling it to anyone. Sure. If God's going to, God's going to save them. He's going to close it. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, that's a good way. It's a good stopping point. Huh? Yep. Well, thanks, guys. Let's do this again next week. Um, love to get our children's ministry workers in here. Hopefully and, uh, soon. The, and also, too, if you missed the why we do this 10-minute clip, please check that out. And until next time. Absolutely. Have a great week, everybody.